Hello, friends and listeners of Bestowing the Brush. I'm your host, Dallas Noctegal, and welcome to my new listeners and Instagram followers. There have been quite a few of you lately. Thanks for joining, and thanks for tuning in and listening today. This is actually the final episode of season one, the finale of this podcast for this season. I cannot believe it's been nearly a year. This year, I focused heavily on drawing and on Charlotte Mason. I also got to host some wonderful conversations with guests. Special thanks to Caleb Noctegal, Cody Wheelock, Kateri Ewing, Rochelle Baburina, Emily Kaiser, and Nicole Hanfield. You guys are great. Go check out all of my previous podcasts if you're new and want to hear more. So today, as I wrap up for the season, I will be reading a lecture and immersion I wrote last summer, encouraging local Charlotte Mason educators in how to teach themselves and their students how to begin drawing. Hopefully this will give you some ideas and motivation for taking this up or continuing to draw over the summer. Although I'm sure your nature notebook is affording you some wonderful time with brush drawings and sketches. With the close of this season, so it also begins summer break for this podcast. You guys have way better things to do than listen to me talk. I'm excited to get to meet some of you in July and then expect to have a new season of bestowing the brush starting back in August. I have also put a pause on my regular feed posting on Instagram, but that's not to say I won't have a story or a post here or there. I will resume regular Instagram posting in July. So, summer break means also that we are pausing the Fiesole Club on Instagram. But if you're just happening upon the club, then what I suggest is working through the prompts we've already done. They are called The Lemon, The Boughs of the Brandstock, and Flowers in the Fresco School. And you can check out those episode titles here on my podcast. And there's some specific directions that don't apply now because it was time sensitive. However, do go check out my comments on others' work during those months in my Instagram feed at Bestowing the Brush. Thank you to all who've been participating and listening. It has been a thrilling year of drawing and community. So without further ado, here is my lecture on drawing called Drawing for Life. I was going through old documents and found a little write-up that I did from last summer for my local Charlotte Mason community. There was a little retreat that my friend put on. Thanks, Lisa Osika, for doing that. It was great. It was very relaxing. It was in a beautiful prairie out in the north part of town. And it was it was a bit hot that day. We did a little bit of a nature hike to get some milkweed and to do a little object lesson immersion from her. She went over a little bit of Charlotte Mason's life and work and some history of her. And that was fascinating. And it was just a great group of ladies to get together. And then I had the privilege of talking about drawing. And it was kind of one of the first times I'd done that in a while. I thought I'd share that outline with you all. I'm pretty much going to be reading from my outline. And if I see fit that I need to add in anything, I will. So this is Drawing for Life. Why do we draw? When we see a thing of beauty, isn't it 
an almost instinctual reaction to want to reproduce that beautiful thing or scene in the form of painting, drawing, or photography? This is a part of the relationship that the intelligent creature has always shared with his god. As the created, we mimic and create. And it is, or should always be, after the pattern of what our maker has designed for our enjoyment and his glory. It's a form of narration and ultimately a form of praise. We also draw for understanding and appreciation. If you have ever taken the time to sit down to paint a flower, have you not eventually been nearly lost in its intricacies, color changes, forms, and folds? What you thought was a simple flower comprised of two colors has actually turned out to display colors you didn't expect, spatial passages and patterns you didn't see before. How do Charlotte Mason's methods help us to draw well? One, short lessons in the earlier forms ensure for careful meditation on the subject at hand, but also only leaves just enough time for observation and to produce accurate marks, make quick decisions for composition and form, etc., and usually produces a better overall proportion drawing rather than too much time fussing over details. Two, picture study provided as well as drawing lessons feeds ours and our children's senses of beauty. The whole feast is a wise institution. Three, nature study and notebook keeping correctly orients our beauty sense to that which our creator has made and gives us interest in and love for our father's world. Four, emphasis is on the means of drawing as primarily educational and not on an importance in completing a project that meets certain requirements. It is visual narration. How else do you see drawing being helped by and helping other studies? We cannot measure the influence that one or another artist has upon the child's sense of beauty, upon his power of seeing, as in a picture, the common sights of life. He is enriched more than we know in having really looked at a single picture. That is Charlotte Mason in volume one. Drawing is espoused as an important and learnable skill, not just a unique gift only some acquire. The practice to any extent of painting is by many looked upon as something outside the ordinary activity of life, and devotion to it is even yet regarded as a pursuit apart from the common requirements of living. This is a mistake arising from confounding the practice of the fine arts, exercise in the technique of them, with the aesthetic pleasure which can be expressed through them. And that is from Francis Bate, a Parents Review article, The Fine Arts and Education. I made a note here to use the margins of your paper or your personal notebook to list some fruits in other areas of life and study you think could come from exercising your drawing muscles. Francis Bate says again, if you will think, there is scarcely a science or a branch of education that is not associated with facts of appearance or a degree of scholarship that is not enlightened by their sympathy. But I have claimed more than this. I have claimed that the education of the sense of sight by the practice of this art not only leads us more directly to a knowledge which will absorb at least a part of every other knowledge, but that it is most powerful to inculcate in the intelligence and reason of the individual those general principles of thought which education endeavors to instill as the most fitting to further civilization in its aim of perfect living. Moving on. 
The practice of drawing requires three things. Observation, mental digestion, and expression of those new ideas. Is this a familiar process to anyone? Hopefully, you say narration. How these ideas reach our practices. As Charlotte Mason reiterates over and again, we as the teachers are not the showmen of the universe. We are the helpful guide to come alongside the child in this endeavor. That may be a huge burden lifted to those of you who have never picked up a drawing utensil in your life. Here are the tasks of the teacher in drawing time. Allow time for the child to fully see. Our predominant left brains are unfortunately really good at trying to make sense of an object by documenting what we know about them, instead of recording how we're seeing them right now come across our eyes. To break this mental pattern, let them spend a few minutes looking at the subject. At the end of this time, point out or ask them about the general shape, proportions of the object, and what is around it. Ask them to point out the shadow masses and where the light is hitting the object. Try very hard not to correct the students and never interfere with their drawings. If you want to show them the best and easiest way to do something, show off to the side or on a demonstration paper. Leave their own corrections to them. Give them the freedom to start another drawing if necessary. Draw along with your student. It can be a restful time in the middle of a school day for everyone. Keep their drawings for records of progress, not to show them off at every chance. Treat it similarly to a copywork exercise, and if the child is really proud of the work he's done, he'll share it and tell about it himself. Here I've listed some important considerations and encouragement. Use quality art materials. Charlotte Mason says that children deserve the best and that there are missed opportunities for education when thrift is more important. Paints, paper, and brushes can add up initially in cost, but it's an investment that will reap rich rewards. And I have a note here that I showed examples of Crayola versus Montmartre versus Grumbacher paints and good quality paper, etc. Practice with your materials as often as you can you can make paint swatch grids of your colors to help you match and mix colors as you practice. Take some time to be in awe of how many different and beautiful colors you can make with just a few paints. Anything can be a still life model for you. Your own face in the mirror, your hand, a person in the room, the tree outside your window, a piece of fruit on the counter. If you practice drawing, chances are your children will be inspired to do the same. Both Vincent Van Ach Dutch painter, and Winslow Homer, American painter and printmaker, taught themselves to draw and paint. Van Gogh wrote his brother letters through his process, and it was clearly a fascinating and exciting pursuit for him. Homer spent so much time in nature, storing up his mental gallery of beautiful images. He often claimed that nature itself was his best teacher. So you can do this. Juliet Williams says, that drawing is nothing to do with talent, but can be done with observation, intelligence, and application, or by seeing, remembering, and expressing, and is a fundamentally educative subject. And now I have written down that we did a 10-minute demo and practice time, but I distinctly remember that we took at least 25 minutes. There was a little bit of time for setup, 
I put a model of a white coffee mug in the middle of the table with a feather in it. I handed out to each of the ladies something to help in their composition as they're looking at their object. It's a viewfinder and you can make it easily by reinforcing a piece of picture mat with another one, or you can cut your own out of a hard chipboard and reinforce it with some duct tape or some other tape. It just has to be sturdy enough for you to stick it in front of your face and not have it flop over. So you're just lining it up with whatever is in front of you and sort of capturing the picture plane, if you will, of the area of what you will be drawing. And I just thought that that could be a good tool for someone who didn't really know how to hone in and really focus in on just one thing. I told them that they could either capture the whole object or they could focus on one area. So I said, just move your picture plane to where you would want to have it. And then I gave them probably about three minutes to have just purely observational time. I instructed them to look at their model, notice where the shadow masses were. I didn't say specifically about colors because I wanted to keep it a little bit more general. I asked where the light was hitting. I asked what shapes they saw. And then I told them to notice anything around it and any cast shadows. Thankfully, we had a lot of natural light that day coming in through a window, so I didn't have to set up any artificial light source. And then I want to say I gave them 10 minutes or maybe five minutes to do an initial sketch. And I told them they were able to use whatever art materials they had brought. And then I had also provided some vine charcoal, if no one had worked in that before, as well as some compressed charcoal. And I think I also had Conte crayon with me. So there were a range. And so depending on your type of material, you might have been wanting to capture something different about the subject. But each of them did their best, they gave their best attention, they gave their best effort. And then I said, I'm going to be a little bit mean. And I took away the model. And I told them to now try to do a memory drawing of the object you just drew. Try to recall exactly what it looked like, think about it for a minute, and then start to draw. And I think I gave him the same amount of time to do that sketch. And then after that period of time, I put the model back in its place where it was. And then they were noticing new things they hadn't seen before. It was almost as if there were areas they had left undone because they hadn't quite looked. And then it made them extra careful to look that second time and to really get the full picture or get some detail that was making it unclear for them as to what their subject beheld. It was really fun. Everyone had a great time and I think people learned a lot and the feedback was great from that. So I was happy to be able to show them some new things, to get them thinking. A lot of them had questions about materials, so I was glad that I'd brought those, at least what I was working with at the time. And I had also painted some swatches of some color mixtures for them to get an idea of the quality of the paint versus each other. I think that that's a good idea. It gives people a visual about the quality versus one to another. 
and maybe makes them less intimidated about the price point if they feel that it's really going to be worth it, which I think it would be. I do distinctly remember my drawing of the milkweed that day. Um, during the object lesson, Lisa had us even take a little cross-section of the milkweed and dab some of it onto our paper. So I even still have a little sticky spot in my nature notebook from that. And that was a fun reminder of that day. And I learned about that plant and got to see a beautiful place and gain some wisdom. And it was a great morning of living ideas. Well, I hope you learned something from this and that this gives you some ideas. And look into Winslow Homer and Vincent van Gogh, Vincent van Ach, I think is really how you pronounce his name. Look into their lives a bit. It's pretty fascinating when you know that someone's been self-taught and has really tried hard and had the self-motivation and discipline to do that. Well, thank you all for joining me again today and happy drawing.